0: Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor, the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Red Circle. Also, the Five Reasons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, and turn the notifications on. Also, check out Off the Floor, that's our new Discord server, now with 10 channels, including a Draft Prospects channel. You can communicate with Heat fans all day long, as well as us, and you don't have to deal with the clutter of Twitter. Find the link right here in the podcast description, also the YouTube description, and T- and pinned to the top of the Five Reasons Twitter page. Also, check out Prize Picks. Use the code 5FIVE. F-I-V-E. Get that initial deposit matched up to $100. Again, Prize Picks, you can play more than just the NBA, also the NHL, MMA, leaving on NFL futures that they're starting to put up there. So, check out everything at prizepicks.com. Use the code 5FIVE. F-I-V-E. Get that initial deposit matched up to $100. And now, today's episode.
1: Uh, Five on the floor. Ride for my dogs. Where here's the thing? You can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars. Ran bubble frogs. Just like Bucket said, you in trouble, y'all. Kept the floor playing. Got an all band. Y'all seen the block. Stop with one hand. And Pat trust, it's power have the guts. We're here to bring the heat. Y'all can hang it up. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA, featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network.
0: All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor. Here's today's score plan. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can follow me at Ethan J Skolnick on Five Reasons Sports. I got Brady Hawk. You can follow me at Brady Hawk three hundred five. We're going to go through the three things, and we've not well. I hope Brady's prepped. Uh, We're going to go through the three things that. Eric Spolcher can tweak, tinker with, might still have in the toolbox. We've seen him pull some stuff out February, March in the past. He's tended to be a a March coach since he's come to Miami in terms of the regular season. So we'll go through what some of those things are. Also, at the back end of this episode, I got a chance to talk to Steve Stowe. Um, He is running Miami Heat Family Fest, which is coming up here soon. So I'm going to tell you all about it. So stick around for that on the second half. Of the episode. But Brady, I know what everybody wants Spo to tinker with because I checked Twitter this morning. Decided to feed right into it with a poll. They want him to let Bam shoot threes. So here's the qualification for anything that you come up with today. It must be a better suggestion than turning Bam Adebayo into a three-point shooter. Uh, But I'll let you start with that. Should Bam Adebayo, since he said show Spo after he made one basket yesterday, only played about 17 minutes, um... Doc Rivers had to play Dame 40 minutes to make sure he got his money's worth there. Should Spell be letting Bam shoot threes?
2: Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting topic because, I mean, like that shot last night, it looked smooth. Like, he rolled into a pull-up, looks smooth. I think that's what I think gets people excited is, like, that part of it. And I think back to, like, Pro Ams in the past, the Miami Pro League, when he's rolling into threes and everything just looks like super smooth in the jumper. And it's like, oh, why doesn't he utilize that? But like Ben Simmons could shoot in the offseason for the last three seasons. Like they have all these guys, and I'm not comparing him to Ben Simmons, but like th- it's a different type of offense, a different type of system that like it's just a, something we don't see as much. Now, if he does begin to shoot, I think it's going to happen gradually. It's like it's not going <laughs> to, I don't think that's a playoff adjustment. But hey, maybe not. Maybe that's why st- Spo is looking over his shoulder right now and he's like, "Bam, why would you shoot that in the All-Star game? We're saving that for round 1 against the Bucks. Like, what are we doing?" Um, but I don't know. I don't think I'm looking too much into that, but it is funny because it almost does feel like a little bit like a Spo system thing, Ethan, because even Thomas Bryant like has always been a guy that's put up a decent amount of threes. And he came here and, and when he started the season, he was getting minutes with this team. He wasn't even looking to shoot the three like he was basically if he was going to shoot a shot, it was going to be around that elbow area. It was going to be in the mid range. Uh, And they always kind of come in. The only guy that was like took it upon himself to say, I'm going to shoot threes was Dwayne Dedman. Like he was like, okay, I'm a shooter. I'm going to get my my shots up no matter what. But hey, I guess the only way to everybody always talked about Jimmy and Bam, the spacing and all this stuff. I guess the way to fix that was Jimmy becoming a 45 percent shooter and Bam now being able able to shoot threes. So I guess now Spo's going to pull that out in the playoffs.
0: Like you said i'm not going to compare it to ben simmons if you just compared it to ben simmons uh there's no question in my mind that bam can make an occasional 3 i i don't think i mean this idea that it's out of his range when when you see uh the lo- the loft and the lift that he gets on the mid-range shot when he actually takes his time and is in rhythm he can extend that range and, and spolster a couple of years ago, I mean, we're going back a couple of years now. And look, I'm the one who keeps saying after every uh, media day, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like every time they discuss this, this is the annual topic, the thing that never occurs. Uh, but Spo did say that he would want Bam shooting the above the break three. So essentially, uh, you know, the transition three. Uh, but here's my thing of it. Like if you're to ask Bam to do one thing or the other more often, I'm telling him to go towards that hoop thing. Like I, I don't. uh, To me, that's where the efficiency uh, has needed to come up, and that's why I've been harping so much on the dunks that he's been getting lately. Because I would like his teammates to look for him there, and I would like him to prioritize that because that's you know four, six, eight cheap points per game, and it's also points that lead to other points because maybe he'll get fouled on some of those. And we know he's a pretty decent free throw shooter when he's in rhythm. So I would prefer he do that and get more conventional three point plays than the three point shot, which everybody's talking about. I'm not going to be, as against it as I was before because I was the idiot who said that Chris Bosh should not be shooting threes and Coop and others were throwing that back in my face for a long time. And I understand because I was incorrect about that. Uh, But with Bam, I I don't think, I think the makeup of this team dictates they need him at the rim. They need him at the rim. Like they need him at the rim. They need him finishing there and then working out to the mid-range and getting those comfortable shots. All right, but enough of that. Uh because we know one thing for sure, it's not going to happen. Uh, at least not while Eric Spolstra is in charge, which is going to be probably for the next century. So go ahead. Give me give me one thing that Spo can change. Uh, I, I gotta take one off your plate though, because you can't do the Jovic starting thing. Because we just did that, right? Like we just devoted a whole episode to that. So so take that off. Give me one tweak.
2: Well, I think I'll we'll, for the last one we'll save for lineups. I think was I think that's kind of usually the wrinkle that we see shifts with. But so I'm gonna say stay here with with what they do in the offense. They always do the same thing. Like there's the the timeline picture of Jimmy where he doesn't try until January and then February we see uh, he starts getting into the gym VP and then he's the second coming of Michael Jordan in, in April and May. Uh It's the same thing for what Spo does, basically, like in the offense, because there's certain things that they get to in the playoffs. And number one, there's two things that they specifically shift to. Number one is the guard screening thing. Like that's always their wrinkle because Jimmy's usage goes up. It's more in the in his hands. uh, And it's all about him kind of hunting mismatches. No matter the matchup, they're going to find a guy on the floor and say, Jimmy, you go attack that guy. So whoever he's guarding, you're going to come screen for Jimmy and kind of move in that way. And we've just seen it every playoff series in the past. And I think back to all those runs he was on last that last season in the playoffs. And it was like it was just so major for them. But they don't do it much in the regular season because they're just saving it. They're like, OK, Jimmy's not really trying that hard anyway to go drop 40 that they work other avenues. The second thing that they always get to, it was the thing how they won the Buck series last year. Is the stuff with with Bam and Jimmy and the high low stuff like they basically use Bam more as the playmaker, more as a point guard, and they let Jimmy kind of just make those plays over the top? They do it right now in the regular season with Love, like Kevin Love and Jimmy have done a lot of that stuff. But I think in the playoffs what you're going to see is it's not going to be it's still going to be Love because he's going to be getting decent minutes. But it's going to be a lot of Bam and Jimmy doing that stuff late in games. It's going to be a lot of them trying to work that avenue, especially if they're running these lineups that we've been talking about with Tyler and Duncan, because at that point, that that's an incredible amount of spacing. So I think those are the two things specifically that's always his wrinkle in the playoffs. And then the funny thing he did is the, the zone has always been his playoff wrinkle, but it's not really a playoff wrinkle anymore because it's been such a mainstay for their regular season defense. So the, the thing I'll be looking for, and I don't really have a specific answer, but it feels like there's going to be a defensive wrinkle at some point. I don't really know what it's going to be because it doesn't feel like they're going to go back to heavy switching because they don't really have the personnel for that, especially if, with Rozier and these guys, they can't really switch. So it feels like they're going to have something. I'm just not sure what it's going to be, but the offense, it feels like it's always the same thing every year that they end up getting back to.
0: We've seen him. Uh, you talk about Bam and utilizing him, uh, you know, more as, uh, you know, a playmaker and those kind of things with Jimmy we we saw that was it the boston series that they they spam that i'm trying to remember there was one series where down the stretch
2: game 5 of the bucks series
0: of the bucks excuse me where the bucks series where he'll just go to that and i'm just curious cuz now that you've gotten enough time to observe him and ans- a- ask him questions like this do you think that spo sometimes is it your sense that spo sometimes forgets about certain things he's had because like he has recall like he'll 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 pull out a play like that was from 2016 right like i mean we talk about the inbounds plays right like that inbounds play where he ran it when teams still didn't figure it out where you know he you know basically empty side and he, he you know he ships you know everybody runs towards the backcourt and all that kind of stuff like and also um i mean there was the recall of the uh the lob off the inbounds, uh, which I remember covering, uh, which made you know, was a, a, I think a, a finish by Dwayne in Minnesota that I covered like back in 2013 or something like that. He pulled that up, It was it was against Rondo. There was another one against Boston, but he'll he'll replay some of these things. But it's interesting to me that like when he pulls something like this out of his bag, like again, bam at the top, then he'll spam it. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, and then all of a sudden we're seeing it on four out of five possessions. Well, what do you think the thought process is there?
2: I mean, there's definitely a repetition factor. It feels like once he sees something work, he just wants to see it over and over again, and that was kind of – it all started, I feel like, in 2020 where we saw this this one action, the, the Bam Duncan handoff, and it was like, wait, that works, and they can't really cover it. So we're just going to see that the rest of the season and into the future seasons. Uh, there's the repetition factor of like – there was a season, I mean, there was some plays last season where basically, like, they ran the guard screening, like, every play, the last possession of the game of all the clutch games. And it got them, like, it won them a ton of games. But it was like, Spo was like, okay, I like this look. Let's just keep running it. So there definitely is a repetition factor. So it is interesting to think about if it's just, like, kind of remembering and kind of forgetting about stuff. I do think stuff is certain stuff is matchup wise because, like, talking about that Bam Jimmy one is like huge for a buck series because you kind of pull a guy like Brooke Lopez away from the rim and you do stuff like that. Maybe it's less likely against a team like Boston because they have more general length. Uh, But 100%, like I, I totally agree because I can think of so many examples of him. Like once he sees like something like on, like really come into fruition, like a play, you're going to see it like four or five more times in a row. Like he's going to ride that. And I think that's a good thing. Like I, I, that part of it I like. Like, if there's something that work, like, make the other team adjust and make them figure it out instead of, like, flopping back and forth through a couple different, different plays. I
0: want to deep dive on the defensive stuff with you in a second. But before we do, um, one of the ways that he gets to new wrinkles is by having new players. So eventually he's going to get Terry Rozier back. We don't know how close uh, to their return, but it doesn't seem like he's too far out. Like, there was good news on that. And then he's adding DeLon Wright. I would assume that adding DeLon Wright is offensively not going to change much of what they do. That's not why they're primarily getting him, um, and it's not it's not his his necessarily his strength. And I think we can kind of figure out. The things that he may be involved in, which he may be getting some catch and shoot jumpers and and other things along those lines, and maybe getting in the paint a little bit when he's handling. But I would expect that he's not going to be handling all that much. But Terry's a different deal. Like they were, they were, they were, they were changing things in their offense to accommodate Terry, and they were doing it without a practice. I mean, he ended up with one full practice, I think, before he ended up getting hurt. Uh, what can he change with Terry? Back in the starting lineup whenever that is that happens because I do think although some are saying now that Terry should be the sixth man I think Terry's going to be a starter when he's when when he they can up his minutes and he's right
2: yeah I think because like what we were just talking about is all stuff that is scripted like we're talking about the part of the the playoffs that Spoke gets to where he's just scripting it all up but at some point the things that ultimately won the Heat multiple playoff series last year was the unscripted part, was the Jimmy just going nuclear and doing random stuff playing in games. And and what I think about with Terry Rozier, the, the factor he brings is the unscripted part. Like I, I just think about when, when things just kind of break down in, in a playoff series and you need a guy just kind of save a, a stretch and kind of just go get buckets, a guy that can work in isolation, a guy that can kind of get a bucket himself, that's what he's going to be. So I think that's kind of an unpredictable factor because they didn't really have that guy last year like not named Jimmy. Like they had a lot of guys that are operating off of Jimmy. They have guys that are operating off certain plays, but just having a guy like Terry that can kind of get them out of that without needing things called for him, I think could be important. And I think it's important for him to get back pre playoffs and kind of find a flow because him like doing what he was doing this pre all-star break where he's like still trying to find his footing, find his efficiency, find all that stuff is going to be tough in the playoffs. So ultimately I hope he can kind of find that a little bit. But that's going to be the part that's unpredictable for other teams to figure out because that's a lot to deal with. So, I mean, DeLon right as well, I think he could get spot minutes. And I think it's a – like I said before, like they had guys last year at the point of attack in the press in the zone that could at least bother guys. Like that – I think back to – or let's say a couple years ago with Gabe on Trey where Trey's sitting there after the series talking about how Gabe impacted him. You could probably have that with a DeLon type. You could have a DeLon series where he bothers a certain guy on the other team whether that be Drew Holiday, whether that be Dame, whether that be Darius Garland, anybody. So I think there's there's a, a certain unpredictable factor that this roster has compared to like the fun story last season.
0: More of a general question here. Um, again, I've covered him since 2008. I've kind of seen him grow into this role and and become more comfortable. And then he he develops a game for particular teams. The the uh, the, 15, uh, the excuse me the 16 17 team. Well, the 15-16 team, he once Bosch went out, he was trying to play through Bosch, then Bosch went out and he was sort of playing with Deng as you know kind of an undersized four. I sort of think that's when this started, honestly, was you know, when he when he found Deng. I don't know necessarily anybody's done it better than Deng did uh for those two or three months. So Jay Crowder, I guess, did uh for a short period of time. But then, you know, the 16-17 season. Where it was the driving kick game, right? So it was, it was, it was Dragic, it was Waiters, it was 7-Eleven. They played off of the two of them. Um, the big three teams offensively tended to uh, you know, he talked about pace and space a lot, and Bosch had a lot to do with that. That's why he talked about him being his most important player, but a lot of their offense was created from their defense. It was just get into get into early offense uh and allow LeBron and, and Dwayne to, to handle at the top and essentially be too physically overwhelming for everybody. Uh, that they played again, you know, while spreading the floor. Do you think he has a game for this team yet?
2: Honestly, I think his game is just live and die by Jimmy Butler, and I know nobody will ever say that because it's more of a team aspect, and everything is about the the team and, and the shooting and everybody finding a flow together. But I think at this point, and we talked about this on, on past episodes, it's like I think it just gets to the point where you're betting on Jimmy Butler just being amazing. That's what you're betting on in your offensive system to me. And I think more so the team aspect is, okay, we're going to find a defense that works. We're going to find something that creates havoc. And I'm going to be the guy that's funneling through everything to kind of find that. And on the other end, Jimmy, you just go be great. And it just, I mean, look <laughs> with the system that they're playing in the team aspect, they're a playing team right now, as much as we we talk about stuff. So then it, it, you kind of bet on that, taking that next step when Jimmy decides to hit that next level. So that feels like part of it, but I mean, it's Jimmy. It almost feels like it's Jimmy plus shooting because all of their runs have included hot shooting. They're going to need. That's what puts Jimmy over the top. Was when you have those two factors. So, can they get that this year? I mean, Duncan kind of finding his flow a little bit helps. I mean, they look better Ethan, shooting this year than they did last season. Like last season was horrific, and they still turned it around in the playoffs. And I feel like they still have more shooting talent actually on this team more than they did last year. Uh, guys I think that are playable guys that can kind of find that flow from deep. So I think that'll kind of be their their style, almost like a 3 and D style. But let's be honest. It's really just riding Jimmy's kind of hot stretches in this playoffs.
0: Now It all comes back to what I said on the podcast the other day. It's the single most important thing is if, if you're going to live and die with Jimmy, you got to have Jimmy be at his absolute best as much as possible or else the whole thing doesn't work. Final philosophical question here before we close. And again, of course, follow Brady at BradyHawk305 and everything that he does with the threads uh, on Twitter and also on our Discord and off the floor. Fans focus on rotation. Who plays? Who doesn't? Why is Spo not using this guy? Why does Spo hate my favorite player, uh, even though Spo has obviously uh, a reason to develop the player? He's not necessarily, you know, p- throwing a pity party and saying I don't like this guy Pat, so I'm going to throw him on the end of the bench. Most of the guys on the roster are guys that Spo approved of, uh, if not all of them. So I that that one always makes me me smile and laugh. In your view, though, is rotation more important or is scheme? and adjustments tactically more important? Is this more about the, the players on the floor that he's using with who? And again, a lot of that gets into a lot of the data data analysis and lineup data and all that kind of stuff, which we talk about a lot on the podcast also. Or does it more ha- have to do with how he's deploying them? If, if you
2: were to say one was more important than the other, which is it? I think it's the tactic and adjustment part. Like Spo is arguably one of the greatest coaches in this sport, in the history of this sport. And he's gotten here because of the adjustment and tactic part. Like that's, that's the whole reason he's gotten here because he's so good at the in-game stuff at the in-game adjustments at out, like legitimately out coaching other coaches in the playoffs. Like he literally can pick them apart. And we've seen that so many times in the past where the rotation stuff, like, yeah, we're going to discuss that in the regular season because that's like the, the fun thing to talk about. That's the stuff that can win you regular season games. But the tactic stuff is what wins you playoff games. And we've seen that time and time again, like, I know we were going to do an episode coming up here shortly. It might even be this next episode where we were going to do the the rotation of like what does a rotation even look like when fully healthy? Like we're going to sit here and probably talk about the 10-man rotation and who the 11th to 12th guy is. But realistically, they're going to play eight-man rotations in the playoffs when it really matters. They're going to come down to the just their, their top eight, maybe nine guys. And that ninth guy is probably going to be getting very limited minutes. Uh, and that's what they're going to do. And it's not really probably going to change much. But the rotation stuff, when you regular season games, and the stuff that Spoh does adjustment wise, when you playoff games, so I mean that feels to me like the most important thing, and it it ties in with the fact that you have the guy like like the, the guy like Bam Adebayo, who is a unicorn in a lot of ways with the different ways you can utilize him. I know we're seeing way more new unicorns in this league right now, but he's a guy that you could pl- deploy in many different ways as a, as a five. And that's a good way to start, and everything could build around him. So it's it's just a hand-in-hand experience, I feel like, with Spo in the playoffs.
0: Again, his records have gotten better as the season goes on. You talk about the playoff stuff. We saw today another coach get fired, uh, Jock Vaughn. It just, again, emphasizes the stability they've had at the position. It doesn't mean he does everything exactly as we would like him to do it, as quickly as we would like him to do it. The one thing I have noticed, though, over the past few years, particularly as it's gotten more in this Twitter space and certain things become narratives and and uh, agendas, let's say, which is something we try to avoid on our playback uh, channel, is that he eventually comes around to most of the stuff that the fans are saying, a lot of it. And then there's some things the fans are saying that just are completely, it's completely sort of out there. But a lot of stuff, when we, we talk about it, and I think we, again, we try to present it uh, with a little bit more factual detail behind it, or at least uh, empirical detail behind it. Uh, like I like this thing about Jovic starting, like, okay, we, we've discussed it. Eventually he's tinkered with it. He's probably going to tinker with it again. Uh, Duncan getting more minutes in these things. I th- He's aware of what the trends are. The materials are presented to him. Sometimes he just goes by gut, and I, I've had that conversation with him many times, and I always go back to this one. And he told me after the big three or late in the big three era that if he had just gone by the analytics and by what everybody was saying out there, and there were a lot of columns written about this, he wouldn't have played Dwayne and LeBron together uh, a lot uh, towards the end of the big three run. Cause the numbers were awful on that. Um, but, Again, there's also the team management aspect part of this, where you're not going to sit Dwayne Wade to play James Jones just because LeBron needs shooting, right? And also, you know, Udonis Haslam, he said, I probably wouldn't have played him at all during some of those playoff series, and then he went 8 of 9 twice against Indiana in the same series. And again, taking UD out of the rotation probably wouldn't have gone on, uh, over very well with guys in the room. So he told me once 75% of his job is, is player and ego management. And... We were trying to break down the other 25% of this, but it all all kind of plays into it. All right, thanks to Brady. Come back here after the break. uh, We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to have a conversation with Steve Stowe. Also check out another great sponsor of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, our friends over at Better Edge. This is legal peer-to-peer sports betting. Use the code 5RSN. That's the number 5RSN or 5 Reasons. You get $20 to play. We're also going to have a contest there for the second half of the season. So check it out. Go to betteredge.com, sign up now. Use the code 5RSN. Have a good day. Well, not have a good day. We got more podcasts for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, flexible and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge so learn to make time for what makes you happy with better help visit betterhelp.com slash miami heat today to get 10% off your first month again that's BetterHelp help com slash miami heat So welcome back to Five on the Floor. I'm Ethan Skolnick and follow me, Ethan J. Skolnick, and at Five Reason Sports. And again, just like we did last year, we bring on our guy Steve Stowe. He's the vice president and executive director of the Miami Heat Charitable Fund. Family Fest is right around the corner. And this is too straight. You had to take a little bit of a break for a while. Last year, you guys brought it back. Of course, it'll be at the arena as it's been the past few times I went last year, had a great time uh, with my daughter, and we'll talk about what's going to be different uh, this year. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. We're excited for this year's festival.
0: All right, so last year, um, it was all about UD, or a lot of it was about UD, because obviously it was his last season and, and preparing for everything that came afterwards, and uh, he was sort of the star attraction. What are the themes this year?
1: So this year we're really going back to how things started with a festival theme, a festival feel to the Miami Heat Family Festival. As you know, this is our 24th annual festival. And as you said, yeah, we took a a little hiatus during the pandemic. So before last year, our, our festival last took place in 2019 so if you're a little kid or if you're um somebody that hasn't been to the festival even our own staff you know we're, we're taking it upon ourselves now to re-educate our folks on what the miami heat family festival is chris and pat brought this event to miami um, back in the late 90s if you remember the early days of the festival with the themes on the beach and moving around to venue to venue and it's really grown and and we've built up such a, a following to this event. And this is something that we're very, very excited about having it uh, back at the Kaseya center this year. It's going to be on the uh, AT&T East Plaza with some tiers below and and utilizing some air conditioned space in, in 601 and the, and the time this year is 3 to 6 p.m so it, it's fun to really activate our arena and showcase it in a different way that fans really get to see the arena way different than it is for for a heat game
0: i mentioned before uh we started here uh, i'm, I'm kind of glad about the three o'clock start i think others are as well a little bit later in the afternoon so um you mentioned utilizing all the space outside and 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 for those who haven't been there basically you've got the food stands all out there you've got typically a couple of stages um and then uh remember again some stuff that went on in 601 last year so when you talk about a festival theme steve like what, what does that mean specifically like well, what are some of the things that are they're going to be there maybe a little bit different than from last year
1: yeah, so obviously we always have a lot of surprises for our fans, but we're really going back to like an island feel, a festival feel, and in addition to that, um, really utilizing our players in ways that we haven't before. So if you've been to the festival, um, you know our players are working the different booths and the different areas. But this year, um, they're really going to be doing some different things, and it's going to be fine. I can't give it away just yet, but you know we have we have a really popular team. Um, these young guys. Um, are, are here. Uh, a lot of our fans haven't really had a chance to get up close and personal with them just quite yet. We see them on the court. We see them flying around, dunking and passing and scoring. So I think that that adds a new aspect this year to the festivals. We have a great bunch of guys that have never even been to the festival or never even taken part of it. So Or maybe it's just their second festival. So it, it really is going to be a fun afternoon where fans are going to interact in different ways like they never have before.
0: You mentioned uh, some guys who haven't done it before, Rozier, Haquez Those would be a couple yeah. of those we haven't seen at festivals. I guess this would be Jovich's um, second um, th- nice. this year. And, and you, you mentioned uh, what we talk about again, the other things that go on here. Uh, the food stands, obviously, you know, that's typically my favorite thing there. Um, and you bring in a lot of the restaurants from from South Florida, Um you know, last year again, but make sure stick around till the end, because I I noticed sometimes they put out some extra things at the end of the booths, Uh, grab something before you go. Uh, What are some of the vendors that you're going to have out there this
1: year? So look, we had a lot of success at our recent gala where Kevin Lowe was serving wine to the guests. Uh, Duncan Robinson has as uh, a self-proclaimed bartender, um, you know, where a lot of these players are going to be serving the food and doing different things um, with with the vendors. But we've had um, from the brownie lady who's been a staple from day one, Joe Stonecrab. Um, Cafe Avanti, you know, the Chicken Parm Slider is probably the best in, in the world. There, there's so many different restaurants that these chefs want to outdo each other. And they they it's not the Food and Wine Festival, the South Beach Food and Wine Festival that the, there's masses of people that come out. You know, these chefs take a lot of pride in this event and they want to showcase their talent, not only to us, but to Heat fans. And I think that's something that we really see when you get out there on that plaza and you see the carnitas churipan and the paria liberty and, and all the, and the smell that they, they just say to me, I can't wait to see the faces of the folks when they smell my food from from down down the plaza. So that's cool. That's something that, um, you know, our players are really into as well. Um, you know, we try to keep it as healthy as possible and give everyone the most healthy options. Um, but but it really is a, a fun event where the players not only get to serve, but taste the different um, tastings of all these famous chefs in South Florida.
0: On the scale right after, that's the important thing. So, yeah. Uh, body no, fat. No, no, no body fat, no conditioning test. It's funny because with some of these food vendors, uh, I've actually run into like old friends who are actually running restaurants. Their Harry Smoke Smoking Dough is a uh, – uh, that was someone who was an intern with me back at a newspaper way back. Now he's got a successful restaurant, yeah. uh, and he's been out there the past few times. Also, you guys do some stuff on the stage, uh, I know, and, and kind of bring everybody on together. Typically, the players all, all come on together, and and uh, and, and you guys have, have some fun with that. Uh, do you have uh, – give me a couple here as we're going back, because now you've talked about this. I mean, it was 24 yeah. of these, even with the, the break that you guys had during the COVID period. Give me like two or three – Favorite kind of moments, surprising moments that happened at family festivals.
1: Yeah, look, a lot a lot of folks always say to me, or Pat asks me, What's the theme gonna be? What are you doing this year? And 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 it is something, you know, I'm, I'm a very mellow, quiet person, but I'm always in deep thought, thinking of, of lots of things. Um, and this is a 365-day year thought, this festival. Um, you know, the second the festival's over, we start thinking about how to improve it, how to tweak it, you know, our charitable fund with Chris Riley, Madeline Harrison um Eric Woolworth we're always trying to better ourselves and that it's kind of like Coach Spoh's mantra like one percent better it's like okay we raised five hundred thousand with this event. how can we raise six hundred how can we get it to a million and that's where we're going but a couple of the, the events that really stick out the one year when we had Shaq's first year and we had the Jungle Beach Safari out on the beach I don't even know how how we pulled that off we had elephants and camels and live animals um, out on the beach. No one got hurt. Everyone had a great time. I think Zoe, Zoe was riding a camel. I, I, I remember that. And then and then just some of the fun festivals, the Festival of the Future was the prices of today with the Festival of Tomorrow where we had robots and um, a lot of futuristic type things. And then just, just that Fire and Ice Festival, if you remember. We brought snow back to the Parcel B, what, what formerly known as Parcel B, and you know you're throwing snowballs in march with lebron james i mean when lebron is looking at me and saying it's pretty cool you know how is it snowing like this in miami i mean these are things that a lot of the, the the kids have now grown up to be fans and that's the purpose of the miami heat family festival yes we're raising money for our beneficiaries yes these are critical dollars that we need but at the same time we're building up like that five-year-old like your daughter this is a, a forever memory where she's like hey I'm going to go to this family festival and I'm going to eventually, you know, celebrate the heat with me in this community, not only at the festival. So that that's a really nice aspect of the festival that the family word is not just something that we take lightly or throw around. Um, It means a lot when our players get to come out this event to this event with their families.
0: You mentioned it. It's, it's funny because we have um, I have pictures with my daughter, with UD from when she was two, three four yeah and then yeah. Ob- obvious obviously took a break and then last year um you know he made sure that he got another one so we put one up of her uh when she was nine with him so it's just like uh, it's funny he got a little bit more gray and and uh yeah. and she, she got a little bit older over the same time but she's already asked me uh you know or I, I mentioned this before we came on we have a trip that weekend she's like, are we getting back in time i said we'll find a way to get back in time so i uh, no, mm-hmm. she she's had a great time uh when she's gone and the players, um, they, they really do interact uh, there. That That's the one thing I remember last year, uh, you know, Caleb going around to everybody, others uh, on the team who were doing that. So, Steve, where do uh, where do people sign up for this? And again, uh, let, let's go over the dates it's during a heat homestand. They play Utah. The night before, I always say you got to get a win the night before Family Festival because it makes everybody feel a little bit better. Um, What Give us some of the details.
1: Yeah, so we tweaked the event this year. In the past, it was Family Packages. We're selling individual tickets this year for the first time. So it's $250 per ticket. You can go to heat.com right there, click on the purchase button, and we sell to about 1,500 or so tickets. Once we sell, we're sold out. It's an event that always sells out. So you can go to heat.com right now and, and purchase your tickets and and really the the funds go to jackson memorials guardian angels program and safe space which is a domestic violence shelter for women and their children and the miami Heat charitable fund you know continues to assist so many different charities throughout south florida so there's going to be ways to even raise more money this year at the event that we've never done before and i think look this is something that when our players go to the hospital visits or when our players are doing things in the community when we have our holiday programs you know, the funds come from this event. So yeah, it's stressful to put on these events or, you know, things things are not as easy as, as people think. But I think when our players realize, oh, wow, these dollars went to refurbish this wing that I'm at right now. And that that wing uh, was, was started in 2000 or 2001. I mean, these are like forever footprints that this organization is putting in the community, not just with the family festival, but with all the charitable efforts and the community efforts that we do, Like I said, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, you can literally drive around South Florida and see these uh, finger fingerprints and footprints all over South Florida because of events like this.
0: The causes, and uh, I always tell people who go to this as well. It's it's you know everybody wants to go see the players, but there's also. A lot of people who've worked for the Heat for a long time that that fans are familiar with. You run around, you you bump into Andy, you bump into Eric, you bump into Jose, you bump into uh, Jason. They're, they're all they're all kind of there and, and just hanging out with their own families. Uh, it's a good time. Again, I've been to probably a dozen of these. I've gotten old myself, but uh, Man, that's
1: a great point. That's a great point. Been- My first ever event. Um, when I started at the heat in nineteen ninety-nine, which is a long time ago for people to hear the nineties. But when I first started and I was fresh, the festival was new to me, Andy Ellsberg was the first person that gave me the taste of the, he's our general manager and he's volunteering at this event. And that right there, when he was putting the signs in for the parking and involved in the front and working and helping with the ice and the I said, Wow, this organization. From top down, not only are they hands on with this event, this is an organization that I feel that we can grow and raise millions of dollars through events like this. So it is really cool, like you said, to see our staff out there working there with their families, volunteering their time. And that's something that means a lot, not only to me, uh, but it's very rewarding to all of us from top down to see that at the Family Festival.
0: All right. So Steve Stowe, thanks again for joining us again the 24th annual family festival second straight year they've gotten a chance to do this it's going to be at the arena and again right after uh, the utah game during a homestand so go see the game on saturday night come out on sunday it's 3 to 6 p.m all the other details are at heat.com and again 250 dollars in the first time that they're doing individual tickets steve thanks for joining us really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me we'll see you out there absolutely
0: Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Reason Sports Network. After all, someone needs to listen to my dad.